Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. Welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We're working our way through uh, Scott Christensen's book, What About Evil? We've reached chapter 14, and we're kind of in the middle of it here. And so we want to kind of jump back in and see if, you know, what he has to say uh, to get us to through this issue of the peerless Savior, mm-hmm. right? Right. Next, he moves on to the... Uh, kenosis of Christ, right? And this is spelled out in uh, Philippians chapter two, right? Showcasing both the divine and human natures in such proximity was not the norm for Jesus during his early ministry. Now he does give, you know, there was some times, for instance, Jesus is asleep on the boat, right? And yet he wakes up. So he's asleep. He's tired. He goes to sleep. That's his humanity. But then he wakes up and he performs this miracle. He steals, uh, you know, steals the so, uh, storm. And so is deity. So you see both of these things right in proximity. But uh, Christensen tells us that that's not the um, regular way that we see Jesus operating. Right. And if you want to hear a sermon of from church history on this, I read one for our friends over at Revive Thoughts on uh, this very passage right wow, here. So, cool. So yeah. Like, ah, so. this this one looks familiar. I, I think <laughs> I remember this. But yeah. So yeah, he's 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 man in a boat who's very tired. So the storm should be rocking him uh, awake instead of asleep. <laughs> right. But he's so exhausted that twelve guys have to come up to him and say, "We're all gonna die." <laughs> and he just wakes up and goes, "Oh, you have little faith." And then he gets up and does the very manly thing of calming the storm so much so that the apostles, the disciples that are with him are fearful of him and go, who is this man that the, 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 the winds and the rains would listen to him. So this isn't the normal. This is, uh, it's one of the reasons that it's being written about here in, in, uh, you know, your, your gospel, uh, uh, writings here. Marks. Yeah. Yeah. Mark four. Yeah. And so, uh, so here's a uniqueness where we see the divine, and the, the, the man um, um, kind of be, being juxtaposition, together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in proximity, close to each other, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But he tells us that the Gospels primarily picture Christ as operating as a man, right. right? And only when the occasion warrants do we see the evidences of his deity, even though he's always acting as the eternal son of God. Right. Because he's still upholding the universe. Right. 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 <laughs> Everything's dependent on him. He, he can't he can't go to sleep. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> he can't fully go to sleep. <laughs> got one eye open. Make sure uh, the atoms are still spinning. All right. But this points us to the doctrine of uh, kenosis, uh, the, the, the self-emptying of Christ spelled out in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In other words, the son is fully God and revealed and reveals the glory of the Godhead in his pre-incarnate mode of existence. John 7, 5, and Hebrews 1, 3 talks about this. The incarnation veiled this glory in accordance with his earthly mission. So again, it's, it's not uh, a, a, a removal, but it's a, a concealing. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, the man behind, behind the, uh, the, 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 the curtain. So Jesus did not seek to take undue advantage of his equality with God. This qualifies what the term emptied or uh Ekenosin, uh it means so in, we get the kenosis from that right. particular word. Yeah, it's right. it's it's not the the newest Joe Rogan uh, dietary <laughs> fad and, uh, and and or anything like that. It's it's uh, this this emptying this this uh, emptying by uh, by by uh, veiling, uh, and so uh, he 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 takes this opportunity to kind of clarify what that emptying uh, entails here. Mm-hmm. Jesus did not empty himself of divinity; rather, he assumed a new form that 
of a servant. In other words, Paul says that Jesus was born in the likeness of men, taking on full identity with the human race. Again, very important that this this happens. Thus, the, the kenosis of Christ ironically occurred not by removing something or the divine essence and the attributes. He doesn't just give that up, but by adding something, the humble realities of humanity. So I, I, I'm sure it's, it's heresy somewhere, but I like it as a as a, a, a big raincoat. So he's not, he's not adding to himself by putting on the rain jacket, but he's, he's, he's concealing his clothes underneath by, by, by the rain jacket. And so he's able to, to, to um, go out into the world of, of rain and, and, and evil and downpours and lightning strikes um, and, and, and be uh, kind of veiled in, in this way. All right. So the emptying is the veiling of it, right? right? The hiding of it, the putting, not taking it, not using it for his own, yeah. uh, you know, purposes and that sort of right. thing. That's, that's, that's this, this isn't pouring out a glass of water. Oop, I, I got, I got uh, 30% of my divinity <laughs> out. I, that should be good. Yeah, I, I got to save 70%. That's, that's right. Let's yeah. put a little humanity and sprinkle some humanity. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. Yeah. You know, he added humanity, but he still uh, retained his deity, right. right? Right. He emptied in terms of veiling it, right? Mm-hmm. Not using it, not, not displaying his glory, right? right? That's the idea. Here. Yeah. So Christ... Uh, the next section here is Christ's earthly ministry and the Trinitarian relations. And uh, Christian says that in, in order to fulfill his mission as the last Adam, right? So Christ came to undo the damage done by the first Adam. <laughs> to succeed where Adam had failed, Jesus needed to live fully under the same conditions of humanity that our first representative did. And so this explains why the incarnation is necessary to Christ's mission. He had to live a life in the same way that the first Adam did, he was if he was going to be our representative is the idea here, right? Right. <clears throat> so this requires some explanation so as not to misconstrue what the kenosis of Christ means. It does not mean that the Son never exercised divine powers during his earthly ministry. He acted with a, a dual agency through both natures, doing things appropriate to the attributes of each nature. Thus, supernatural acts like miracles and healing uh, were done through this divine nature. Then he turns to what he calls the uh, the section on the unique work of the unique Redeemer, mm-hmm. right? And he says the uniqueness of Christ, the Redeemer, qualifies him to achieve the unique work that uh, is involved in solving the crisis of the fall and its devastating impact on humanity and the um, and the world. So his uniqueness, right, this God-man combination here allowed him now to do this unique work right which is you know fixing the fall we might say right Right. the devastation that that happened there christ is the second adam and uh, as the new representative of humanity he needed to succeed where adam uh, failed right Mm -hmm. and so that was uh part of the unique work that he had to accomplish right right Right. and so there if he is the second adam he has to be in some capacity, in some way, like the first Adam in, yeah. in, 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 in humanity. And so, uh, again, this, this is where drilling down into who is Christ in the incarnation is important. Is he, does, does he not have bodily form and he only appears to be a man? Well, then how can he stand in our place yeah. as, as, uh, as a, a, a perfect sacrifice for humanity yeah. if he's not human? Right. All right, so the obedience and, and sacrifice of Christ. Uh, God created humans to be submitted to his benevolent lordship in the bonds of holiness and covenant loyalty. And we get this right from uh, uh, Genesis 1 and 2. This is what happens uh, uh, when, when God creates man and tells him 
uh, go and expand, expand the garden. Because God is supremely holy and is the standard of all holiness, then we must be holy as he is holy. Leviticus 11, Matthew 5, 1 Peter 1, all talks about this requirement for perfection. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I might have failed that already today. I <laughs> yeah. might have. I, I think I have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have. <laughs> Sadly, Adam failed as our covenant representative before our creator and Lord. Therefore, Christ came as our new representative. Again, uh, the, the, this, this, is, this is kind of standard orthodox stuff. But uh, today, uh, there are many even good apologists that uh, don't kind of have this understanding of of original sin or uh, kind of this federal headship of Adam, but this stuff needs to happen in order for us to talk about, well, why, why Jesus? Why, why him? Why the incarnation? Why did this have to happen? Uh, you know, and, and, and how, how is sin there in all of us at, at the beginning? Why, why when I'm formed and knitted together in my mother's womb, am I also a hater of God at, at that point in time? I, we, we have to have an understanding of, of where this nature uh, uh, comes from unless if kind of God creates it uh, first off. So it's just one of the reasons why we have to, to have a, a correct understanding even of original sin there. So he needed to meet every demand of the moral law of God as a man in order to provide what is necessary for fallen men to be made right before their creator, possessor, and judge. Fully su- submitted, uh, f- fully perfect. Uh, he has to... Obedient uh, to the law. He, he has to worship uh, uh, correctly. Put uh, God first, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All those things after you read, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you out of the bondage of, of Egypt. Uh, uh, here, here uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to take your representative. I'm going to take him up the mountain and tell you exactly what needs to be done. Uh, and there's a golden calf. Oh, <laughs> you couldn't even wait 40 days. <laughs> and, and, and now you're eating gold and drinking gold. Uh, how do you like that? So then uh, Christensen tells us that all believers are justified not only by the active righteousness of Christ, right? He lived this holy, perfect life that uh, God required. So they're not only justified by this active righteousness of Christ that's imputed to their account, but uh, they're also justified by his passive reception of the penalty. So here's the crucifixion, right? The penalty that uh, they have incurred by their crimes against God. Mm-hmm. Right? God is, yes, he's gracious and merciful and loving, but he's also just and holy and righteous. And so sin has to be dealt with. Right. right. And so uh, Christ is the way that uh, our sins are dealt with. Mm-hmm. Right. Justification, Christensen tells us, is gloriously praised as the great exchange. The guilty sinner's unrighteousness is imputed to Christ, while the rich righteousness of Christ is imputed to the impoverished sinner. So we have this God, exchange. God really, right? really uh, uh, gets a deal with me. So I'm just saying that exchange is probably a little bit on, on his side than it is on my side. No. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he tells us that Christ is reckoned as guilty for the sinner's uh, sin, even though he is innocent. While the sinner is reckoned as a faithful keeper of the law, even though he is heinously guilty. Right, right. right. Escape that one. Yeah. All right. So a divine righteousness vindicated by Christ. How can God justify rebellious sinners and at the same time satisfy the demands of his own righteous and just character? These things need to happen in order for God to still continue to be God. Mm. How can God express his holiness without consuming us and his love without condoning our sins? How can he satisfy his holy love? So we have this holy love, right? This righteous 
uh, uh, grace, right? Right. right. <laughs> right. He, he he can't let the the back door of the theater in, and all of us rush into the rated R movie you know, <laughs> just because he's he's so nice. Uh, that wouldn't be truly loving, and right, he right. wouldn't be the God who it is worthy be of worship. Right? Yeah. yeah. The answer is that God Himself must solve the problem, mm. and He has done so through the uh, propitiatory sacrifice of His Son. Mm. Again, yeah. this is this is what needs to happen in order to deal with sin. And so it almost seems like there was a plan from the beginning. <laughs> Amazing, Ooh, okay. right? Yeah. All right. I see where you're going with this. <laughs> uh, he, he then um, talks about the temptation of Christ, right? And he says, uh, when Christ set his mind uh, toward obeying the Father's will and the mission of, you know, rescuing and probably sinners, uh, this was no walk in the park. No, or right? walk out in the desert. <laughs> yeah. And I think here, I, it it's really good that uh, Christensen deals with this right here because um, I think this kind of uh, summarizes a lot of what he was talking about. And um, I think me, I would have put it earlier, but I think it's really well laid out here. So right, right. I, w- I would say I would be wrong if I laid it out earlier, but he, he, here he's bringing in to, to summarize his point of, well, okay, he's God, he can just do miracles. So why doesn't he always do this? Yeah. Well, Here's one of the reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he gives us, uh, there's, there's two things here he wants us to know with regard to the temptations. First, uh, his obedience was achieved as a man, not by automatic recourse to his divine nature, right? He didn't say, oh, you know, destroy Satan, get out of my face. <laughs> right. I'm going to, you know, you crushed you right here and, you know, send my angels to, you know, no, no, no. His obedience was achieved uh, as a man. Second, Christensen tells us that uh, in order to succeed as the second Adam, Jesus needed to be tested with temptation, right? Just like the first Adam was tested. Uh, so he needed to be placed in the same condition as our first representative. And right. so, um, you know, he, the first Adam was tested. He failed. The second Adam then had to be tested. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, he didn't fail. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's some good sermon preaching right here yeah. on, on, you know, a, a Adam was told to go out into the wilderness and, and, and conquer it and expand the garden. Here, Christ is the one that goes out into the wilderness to expand the garden. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Uh, really, really interesting to, to see that uh, here. So the force of his temptations was no less than that which we experience. In fact, it was greater uh, especially if you see what he put himself through. I mean, uh, 40 days of fasting is is, uh, is pr- pretty impressive, uh, as, especially out in the desert alone. Um, you know, uh, uh, I might get uh, 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 tired of just being by myself after, you know, a, a day, let alone <laughs> 40 days, but, uh, t- especially with no books. He didn't even have a book back then. Uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it was greater. So uh, Wellam writes, uh, uh, Jesus' sinless nature ensured that his temptations far surpassed anything we will encounter in our sinful natures. Um, Mechleded uh, argues that uh, Jesus was an unparalleled uh protracted battle with temptation that we do not uh, because we easily give in to the slightest provocation of the tempter. We insanely struggle over things that, uh, why, why am I doing this? I'm facing this thing again. I, I, I know that whenever I get into this predicament, uh, you know, I, I, I work myself up and I, I am yelling sinfully at the people on TV who are made in the image of God and my, my language might not be the best or my, my um, uh, uh, speaking against what they're doing turns into hatreds so that Christ calls that uh, essentially murder. Uh, but yet uh, Christ 
experiences this even more and even more kind of weakened uh, bodily state and he succeeds uh, perfectly. By contrast, the, dire, the devil tirelessly worked Jesus over with every last bit of energy he could muster, trying to oppress the Son of God to fall away from the obedience to the Father done on our, uh, on our behalf as the last Adam and our faithful mediator, which kind of shows you what exactly would have temptation looked like if Eve would have said no and, or Adam would have said no. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> how many more times are you going to ask? And, uh, you know, if the, the first one was easy enough. But that was in God's providence, so uh, we're, we're, we're And, and, we're and this is a really interesting point, right? Christ, obviously, uh, since he didn't yield, uh, the, the burden of temptation was way more heavier on him, right? Because right. as, as is described here, the devil just kept piling it on, right? right? Since he wasn't yielding, he kept piling it on. And so the burden was far heavier on Christ mm-hmm. than it is on us right. because— we yield, right. right? Well, and, you know, isn't the devil a little bit right where he says you could turn these rocks in, into bread? Yeah. I, the, the fact that he, his reliance on his humanity, even here, even though he could very much do that, just that thing, um, for for us would have been an easy temptation. Yeah. Oh, well, that's just part of my nature. That's right. I, I can, I just, right. I, I, I veiled it. I can unveil it. And it's, it's I've already easy. fasted anyway, right. so I've given God what he needs. Right. Now it's my turn, right. right? But here you have Adam and Eve in, in perfect uh, creation in the garden, protected, no need for, to, to want for anything. You, you could literally go to the next tree and eat all of it. Yeah. All, eat it. I don't know if they, Gorgeous they yeah. I, I don't know if they ever got full, but you, you could have gone to any other place. Yeah. But you you stuck by this one part, and uh, and and you know Jesus could have. He he knew what was coming for him, and again, re, this this reliance on his humanity that we see in the garden, where where he's crying so much that you know blood is coming out. It's like he's crying blood. Um, he knows what's going to happen, and the devil offers him. You know, the, 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 all the kingdoms take the easy route. This is, this is, you know, what's going to come, you know, what the wrath of the father means mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yes. And I'm still going to reject you. Um, what, 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 uh, what the Egyptian or what the, what the uh, J- Jewish people did after the exodus from Egypt, uh, he's uh, fu- fully renouncing and saying, mm-hmm. yeah, this might be the easy way, but I'm fully rejecting this. So the result of a battle much greater than ours could ever be is yeah. seen here. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he fought that huge battle. And as a result, Christensen tells us, he can be our sympathetic savior, yeah. right? Any theodicy, he says, of substance must contend uh, that the fall was no accident, right? It has a profound reason for occurring uh, to the glory of a peerless redeemer who conquers its dark designs. Right. And we, I, I just add here, uh, we've talked about Job in the past and Job sits there and goes, tell me what I've done to, to deserve this. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm existing in, in this world. I've, I've done nothing but good here. Even my friends coming along and saying, you must've done but bad Jesus in the desert, uh, in, in, in the, the hunger and the thirst, he doesn't cry out to God saying, why are you putting this, uh, putting me through this? Even in the garden, when he knows what's going to happen, there isn't a, uh, oh, woe is me type, type uh, idea. It's, it's uh, not my will, but your will. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's different. We're at the end of Job. You, you say, what can I say? I, I've, I've met the creator of the universe and I, I'm, I'm made silent by, by who he is and what he does. Jesus does the exact opposite of what we see in Job. 
still evil happens, still suffering is happening to him in his incarnate form. And still he doesn't say, but why would God allow me to, to be tempted like this? He, he, he just faces uh, uh, the devil in his weakened state in all that the devil had to throw at him, which was only three things. And the devil got up and walked away. I mean, that puts in our mind, well, the devil just didn't like hound him for, for, for days and days on end. He, he gave it his good go three times and then he got out of there and he fled. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it, it's a, it's a, a beautiful picture of what, um, what having the heart of Christ in those situations does to us. We're going to fail. We're still, we're still sinful by, by our nature, but uh, the, this, the, the great exchange happens and our hearts are given Christ's heart. And so we can respond in similar kind to this. And one of the reasons the temptation happens and is written down is because of this, is because we have the better version of Adam, the better version of Job, all those people we can learn from and, 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 and be closely knit together. But here's the one that has recreated our hearts and, and made it like his so that, uh, the, that God can stand in the temple of our hearts. And, and it's just, a uh, a, a great thing to see here. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> just, yeah. just getting a little preachy there. <laughs> just a, a, like I said, a really good chapter with yeah. like a lot of ideas that, that came at me. <laughs> and so he can be our sympathetic high priest, right? And, um, and, and Christensen tells us this idea of uh, the sympathetic savior is, is astounding. Right? God is not an austere, uncaring deity standing aloof, you know, in a distant throne room somewhere, disconnected from the rank and file of his kingdom, right? right? He knows through Christ what it means to be mistreated. He knows through Christ what it means to be misunderstood. He knows through Christ what it means to be maligned, Mm. right? He understands our weaknesses. He understands our fears. He understands our struggles. Our battles with temptation and with the tempter were his battles as well, right. Christensen right. tells us, right? Uh, David, when, when he uh, is tempted by Bathsheba, he, it's happening because he's not in the place where he's supposed to be. He's not out there in battle with his troops. It's, it's, he's not leading. He's back. He's safe. He's protected. And then his eye wanders, and then he commits all ten of, of flagrants of, of the commandments, and murders one of his best friends who was there in the beginning with him in the cave, his mighty men. But Christ is there at the head of our, at the head of battle leading us in the charge. He's not, you're right. He's not on his throne room going, uh, uh, let's move the chess piece over this way. He's there. He's, right. he's, he's made himself into the pawns and yeah. they're in the battle. He's one of the pieces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very, very cool. So Jesus conquers temptation when we inevitably fail. He faced suffering with perfect resolve. Thus, as Hebrews 2 tells us, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Why? Because he gives us the perfect picture, how to respond, yeah. how to how to endure, uh, an understanding of who God is, that, that we're not... Um, that, that, that we're not... Oh, oh it's getting hard. Uh, see you guys. I'm mm. out of here. Uh, no, he's in the midst of the battle. He was there, and he took the ultimate brunt of not just just human contemptibility of being beaten and spit upon and and uh, meeting governors and being falsely accused uh, where he he says nothing before the the the, the rulers that could set him free uh, but he faces the ultimate judgment seat of God thrust upon him and, and not just his sin not that he had any but all of humanity's sin rested on him so that when 
unbelievers say, oh, it's just, you know, he, he hung on the cross for a little bit, uh, about six hours, and then he took a three-day vacation while dead. <laughs> no, that, that has a, a very false understanding of what is sin and what the response to that sin is, not just like a person's sin, all, like all humanity sin that will, that believed in the coming Messiah and then looking back on the cross and even those who are at the base of the cross, all their sin is placed on him and God's anger is turned against all of that and that time. Yeah. I mean, there's, wow. there's a reason that we get the, the garden prayer uh, 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 conversation between the, the second person, in the train and, and the first speaking in the third. Mm. Um, it, it's a, uh, it's uh, an amazing uh thing to kind of try and fully grasp. And um, I know I fail at it. So he is our strong deliverer, an all-encompassing savior who conquers our pain by his own pain. The transcendent Lord of the universe is our closest friend. Proverbs 18 and John 15 talk about this makes him supremely captivating to our guilty and wounded souls and worthy of our humble yet unflinching confidence. All right, so he is definitely our sympathetic savior. And yet, uh, Kirsten ends this chapter by saying that questions remain, right? Uh, the otherworldly wonder of Christ moves us to ponder precisely how the eternal, immortal, unchanging, transcendent God uh, enters, uh, you know, our suffering and pain and, um, and how deeply he penetrates its dark, its dark portals, if God, he tells us, takes on weaknesses and if God takes on humiliation and suffering and temptation and even death, you know, does this not contradict the fundamental essence of what it means to be God? Right. And so he says, we'll turn to those questions next right. time. There's more questions and therefore more chapters. <laughs> So again, uh, thanks for joining us on uh, walking through this chapter. Again, uh, I, I put out the tweet, but buy, buy the book just for chapter 14 uh, and, and, and bookmark it and underline it and put little tabby things in it like I've done and, uh, um, and mark it up and, and, and not just read it, but, but think about exactly what's being discussed and um, understand that th- there's a reason that for 2,000 years we're still writing books about this because this is a weird thing but it's also a thing that's come to expect. And so that's why we can have people that look at the incarnation for what is this in and of itself. It's why we can't divorce ourselves from the old Testament because what's in the old is pointing us to what we should be expecting. But even then we, 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 we look at the, 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 the people who followed Christ uh, or followed Yahweh at the time and looking forward, we, we would never have come up with this idea. This is a fully unique thing uh, that is happening, and it's happening at a time where language is available to the people to write about, to define it, to struggle with it, to write books that people then write books, and those books get books responded. And it's not just like, oh, we published it. This is like, hey, this has been out in the world for seven years. We should respond. We've had seven years for it. Now we just got to wait for another seven years for them to respond. So, you know, the, <laughs> the, the slow and meticulous, why, why isn't everything happening all at once? Why don't we see? You know, the, the church perfected right at, uh, you know, eight, well, let's give them AD 300. <laughs> Why is it still 2,000 years and we're still fighting kind of the, some of the same fights? It's, it's because, um, because of the uniqueness of the incarnation and, and the, the need for us to, to, to garner that, th- those ideas well and be able to communicate it with the world. And that's where we hope to be the conduit between the source of light and the person next to us who's in the circuit that uh, continues on, that uh, we, we were given the light 
and we're now the resistor to then pass that on or the capacitor. So, <laughs> so th- th- there's our electricity for the day and, um, and the chapter for, for this week. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll join us back uh, next time as we continue on and see, well, what does this matter? Okay. So the incarnation is unique, but how does this deal with evil? Well, next time we're going to be talking about the suffering redeemer and, mm. and how we can be uh, redeemed from, uh, uh, from the theodicy. All right. So we'll see you next time. Thank you.